Welcome, one and all, to Andor, Star Wars podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Galactic Core. My name is Matt, and joining me in the big round white room is Pete. Hello there, Pete. Rebels unite. This is the Andor podcast by Fantastic Geek for the season one finale of Andor, episode 12, Rick's Road. Pete, making our way through... Uh, news connected to Andor and the other things we podcast and so forth hours after last week's Andor podcast, in which I joked that Disney CEO Bob Chapek was more concerned with monetizing everything uh, instead of being a creative leader. The Disney board of directors fired Chapek effective immediately. He's been replaced with Bob Iger. Uh, Iger, of course, Chapek's predecessor as well, is a champion of making creative leadership and creative empowerment a priority over monetizing anything that moves meet the new emperor same as the old emperor there you go uh, pete from emperors to uh kings and queens and so forth uh just i believe today uh black panther has passed 600 million dollars in the worldwide box office uh which is uh certainly a great feat indeed and our Black Panther Wakanda Forever podcast uh, awaits both on the pop culture podcast feed as well as the Marvel movie podcast by Fantastic Geek Feed. And yesterday, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special hit Disney Plus. And uh, in a couple days, we will be podcasting it on Monday uh, for the Marvel movie podcast feed and, of course, the pop culture podcast feed. Uh, a-, a fun adventure with a brand new face. Can't wait to dissect that with you. And don't forget, we are giving away uh, at least a quartet of uh, digital download codes for uh, four phase four uh, Marvel movies. Get your review into any of our Apple podcast feeds. You have 30 to choose from. Throw us a tweet throw us a dm throw us a facebook message throw us an email just let us know hey i left you one of these so you can go in the pot matt i have two entrants so far somebody's got to win uh there you go looking forward to pulling those names out of the hat and bringing things back to andor pete the you know sunrise sunset here it is uh you know we're about to dive into discussing the final episode of season one and this past Tuesday is when Andor season two started to film. Can only wonder as that second and final season has started lensing, you know, where in the season they're filming, they film greatly out of order. All the Ferrick stuff was completed before anything else. So who knows what uh, great uprising they are just now staging on film that we'll see uh, probably in 2024. Plug in. You should be able to interpret the entire Imperial network. Let's take a closer look at the data tapes smuggled out about this episode. A soldering iron works on a project as Wilmon Pack prepares something. Later, Lightning flashes, and a Lambda-class shuttle lands on Ferrix, where Dedramiro descends the ramp, escorted by a pair of Death Troopers. At the hotel, overtaken by the Empire, 
Bix Colleen shudders under a blanket and is watched. Miro is at the door looking presumably over a closed circuit at Bix. Captain Tygo welcomes her just in time for dinner, but she'll eat later after changing and taking a walk around town with Corv. In front of a hologram of his father, Salmon, Wilmon continues to work. Outside, Zan, Pete, you might remember him from the uh, prior episodes in which he was manning the uh, the communication he was answering the phone and so forth uh he's waiting pete by the bricks uh to talk with brasso brasso finishing up presumably a, a day of work uh zan shares that cassian has called and cassian knows about marva now zan says it was a short conversation uh and they decide to walk and talk but we see that nurchi is watching uh, pete Tony Gilroy, assuming that we were all big enough boys and girls and peoples to remember that Nurchi had a beef uh, with Cassian way back at the start of the the season. So enough dramatic through line there. No need for you know voiceover like I'm gonna get him for what he did to me. But um, he got paid off. Is what makes it somehow even worse. Uh, Pete, uh, this is this is the dirty Star Wars universe where sometimes people go from bad decisions to work uh, worse decisions. Uh, we cut to Miro and Korv walking around, scoping the scene. Uh, we see that Cinta is watching them as well, keeping a safe distance. Uh, back we go to Wilmon Pak, still building his device. And I think it's around this point that it instinctively we are all starting to sense that it's a bomb again. I know every space week pipe bomb space pipe bomb. Indeed. Um, you know, every week we've been playing the game, Tony Gilroy, angel, Tony Gilroy, devil. Um, you just know, I mean, there's, there's, uh, in a little bit in a in the next Wilmon Pock scene, you know, it just looks like a star Wars version of a blasting cap and primer cord, even though it's kind of electronic wiring and so forth. Again, just that trust in the audience to know what's going on without him saying, you know, Dad, you might not be able to hear me where you are, but I'm building this bomb, the bomb for you. Like, we can just figure it out. And you know what, Pete? If you can't figure it out, super later on in the episode when he throws the thing and it goes boom, you can still figure it out. So if nothing else, Pete, celebrating here the lack of hand-holding and trust in the audience. Doubling down even further, you know, in between we get this scene in a tavern where Nurchi is uh, plying Zan, who's hinting that Andor is aware that Marva has died and therefore could be on his way back. But that Wilmon's got this hollow of his dad. Matt, we were never expressly told and dad was hanged. Um, yeah, and, and, and it's, it's a very Star Wars thing to have a universe, to have a story that is bigger than the story you're watching. Um, and I think that that's just built into the Star Wars aesthetic. Again, add to it, you know, um, Captain Taiga had said, I want to hang him. And, you know, we, we don't need to see that for a low level supporting character. We can just see how dismissive some of the characters are and then come back goodness four or five episodes later and see the morning sun and just 
just go with it. And again, if you don't remember those things, you can still feel the emotion in the moment. Here's an upset young man by himself tinkering at something with a sense of determination and it's just working on every level. On Coruscant, a haggard and hot, both in temperature and in spice, Matt, Mon Mothma takes off her necklace and opens her coat in the space limo. Perrin joins her, drink in hand, and he thought she'd left without him. She admits it crossed her mind and asks the driver, Chloris, for privacy. Mon accuses Perrin of gambling again, which he denies. Worse is it's on Coruscant. Perrin says someone's lying to her and demands to know who, but she says she's been shamed enough for one night. If he needs to gamble, he can go to Canto Bite, Matt, in <gasps> Tony Gilroy's Star Wars, okay? And do whatever he needs to, but he promised not there. Uh, he yells uh, that he's kept his promise, um, and says people are trying to take her down by coming after, uh, sorry, take her down by coming after him. Uh, if she tells him who's saying it, he'll tell her why. Um, where would he get the money is the question that scares Mon the most. Uh, but they can agree that someone's lying to her. Pete, Tony Gilroy, in an interview uh, this week with The Hollywood Reporter, was very impressed that the interviewee looked at this scene and was able to say, wait a minute, Mon Mothma's not actually thinking that he's gambling, and she doesn't actually think he's having a pri- that they're having a private conversation. She is saying this for the benefit of the spy, Chloris. And he was very impressed that the interviewer was able to into it. In fact, I guess he, he, Tony Gilroy, had been on a round of interviews, and he said, you're the first one to figure that out. Pete, I think most people can watch this and go, she's said not from day one, Chloris is a spy. And um, it's a, she's a super smart lady, and it's a really great way to pin the money losses on, you know, boozy, sleazy, uh, sleazy husband here. Um I think I like most people, Susie. yeah, I think most people can watch this scene and and reach the same conclusion as well that she's got a game set match here to uh, pin her troubles on her dear husband. Bell Sartha waits for Cinta on Ferrix, who was on her way to pick her up, but the ISB guy she's been watching had his lady boss arrive that evening. She followed them. As they left the hotel dressed like locals, they must know Andor is coming. Vel says that Cinta did the right thing, and Cinta says they have to get to Andor first. Vel tells her to come away from the window, and they lock eyes. Yes, able to share a moment there. Back out on the mean streets of the city, uh, Andor lurks in the increasing darkness, making his way uh, home, or perhaps not in the home. He does flash back to to Clem, the adoptive father. Finds his brick. Indeed, indeed. Uh, he, he reflects on Clem, telling the young Cassian 
how it's easier to clean the old parts. You don't need to go for the new thing all the time. Just go back and revisit the old thing, the old ways. Scrub it off. Take what is old, make it new again. Pete, is this Tony Gilroy talking about his take on Star Wars? The idea here about eyes staying open, possibilities everywhere, um, that there's promise in everything I think is evergreen. Could it be viewed through the lens of Star Wars? It certainly could have. I am down on Andor is the greatest Star Wars thing ever. And here's Mandalorian. And here's Obi-Wan Kenobi. And soon, Matt, it will be Ahsoka. Like, can Star Wars just be Star Wars and we can appreciate that we get the Star Wars and so much of it and this good? Yeah, I look forward to the people who felt my childhood was validated when you brought back Hayden Christensen and in the Kenobi series are some of whom are the same people saying my adulthood is validated now that you're making adult star Wars. And then they're going to be like my teenage teenage life is validated now that Ahsoka has been put to the forefront. Uh, but now my childhood has been validated when Mandalorian came back, I guess it's actually yeah. Mandalorian before Ahsoka, but you gather what I'm saying. comes back and, and makes us all, happy again like these are different flavors <laughs> you can have a more serious loaded uh you know holding up a mirror to society star wars and andor and then you can have possibly the cutest animatronic puppet ever in mandalorian and you know uh cub and uh you know, dad adventures, like it, it, it can be both. And, you know, liking one doesn't make the other juvenile or too serious or so on and so forth. Andor sneaks into Bix's yard uh, and there are guard dogs there that almost get him. Luckily, Pete, those chains are just a little short, uh, but it is Pegla who pulls them back and down, boys. Andor and Pegla hug. Uh, he explains that he's there, just keeping an eye on the place. It'll be so sold soon enough. You know, as for Bix, dot, 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 cut to Bix. See what they did there, Pete? Uh, mm -hmm. She shudders in the dark and cold of her cell, formerly a hotel room in the hotel. Uh, Nemec's words from his manifesto carry the through line of the, the montage scene here. He talks about freedom occurring spontaneously across the galaxy. Andor is reflecting on these words as he hangs out in the, uh, the old uh, ship that Marva once had. Intercut is Luthen looking at the city from afar, eyeing his entry point. Uh, Nemec tells us that uh, tyranny requires constant efforts. Uh, and one day it will be a single thing that will break a siege. Symbolically here, the storm breaking now to rain. Tygo takes Miro through a hollow map of the funeral area. As requested, they've loosened air traffic. Also, so we don't have to show that. Uh, they've pulled back uniform patrols, they've relaxed curfews, they've baited the trap, and 
left the door open. There are recon units prepped and positioned. And as they look out from this holographic area onto the real McCoy from a hotel balcony, um, it's explained that they're allowing them half of Rick's Road for one block. The Daughters of Ferrix, a local social group, Matt, some would say an annoyance, uh, pushed back. So they've upped the number of people they'll allow to 40. Uh, Mira wants containment, but not snipers. She wants and or alive and wants that message passed clearly. We cut to troopers on the streets, Vel in local clothes, just walking by. Uh, then we... A droid with a gun. We've never seen a like a, at least on live action, uh, an astromech style droid that's armed. Pete, that it, it's just, it's how the, the army of the empire does it here. Uh, we cut to Coruscant specifically ISBHQ. Uh, Blevin is uh, hearing from Chloris, the, where would I get the money story? Um, with the idea that that indeed there is missing money. It's kind of an explanation, Blevin says. There's some odd banking moves lately. So if you didn't figure it out from the first scene, I guess you can figure it out from this scene and then go tell Tony Gilroy when you interview him for The Hollywood Reporter and you can get a pat on the head for two scenes that spell things out. Um, <laughs> but again, Pete, the, high, the, the headline here, Perrin, the banking baddie, uh, uh, Cloris is told to keep listening, uh, but Blevin has to go now. He's called to the round room. And you hear Pete, that applause? I do. Not only do I hear some applause, Pete, I think the applause is for me slash us. We had discussed the possibility of the Anto Krieger job taking place uh, on screen entirely as after action reports or within the war room, etc. That's what's going on right now. That Anto Krieger attack, it's all over. Everybody's dead, counting the bodies, no prisoners. Uh, But you know who's not happy about that? She's talking with Partagaz up there. It's Miro saying, a dead body cannot give up information. Uh, Too bad, says Partagaz. This particular uh, activity today was all about calming the Emperor off of Truth Social. I mean, calming the Emperor off of his anger. You want to actually help out? find Axis, which Pete takes us to Axis himself, Luthen, in the morning, hopping on his bike. Do you see what they did there again, where they say a thing and then cut to the same thing, even though the two are not related in in emotional connection? Closing up the Fondor Hallcraft there, tugging his hood down before heading out over the wastes. Korv watches from a perch, and sees a different man than Brasso leave Marva's with B2 EMO. He radios that they've been played. Andor is in the tunnels, and Pegla watches through the grate so that Brasso can reunite with Andor quickly. They hug, and Andor tells him he wanted to take Marva away, which uh, she told Brasso uh, he shouldn't be there now. Um, Andor admits he argued the last time he spoke to Marva and Brasso tells him repeatedly to stop that Marva told him he'd say all that, uh, but to tell Andor 
that none of this is his fault, that it was already burning. He just uh, lit the spark uh, for the fire. Um, tell him that he knows everything he needs to know, that he needs to feel. Um, and when the day comes and those pull together, he will be an unstoppable force for good and get the Death Star plans to Princess Leia, who will put them in R2-D2, who will find Luke Skywalker, her brother, who will target the exhaust point on the Death Star and blow it up. Pete, it would, on first viewing, it would have been nice if they got Fiona Shaw via flashback to deliver this, but of course, they're saving that emotional desire for now. Uh, Pegla shushes the men, then leaves them alone. Uh, Andor says that he won't be leaving Bix here, uh, and Brasso notes that he's going to take care of Marva, i.e. A, a family, an extended family presence at the funeral. Uh, we Also to... being stormtroopers and uh, uniformed Imperials with the brick made from rashes. There you go. Uh, we cut to the local transport uh, with Mosk and Karn riding in on it. Again, the trust in the audience that, like, you spaceport in and then you take this thing into town. So it's them riding into town. Um, wonderful moment here. Of course, no dialogue in it as uh, Mosk sees that Karn's uh, civilian hat isn't just isn't working for him. So they swap hats to fit in better. Uh, again, it's a curious decision to have no dialogue here but uh we nonetheless get it that it's two men set about their task uh, and on the streets peggle is hitting the road as andor climbs up to the roof up to the rooftops uh nurchi kind of sees peggle exit looks up in that um you know somewhat hidden uh sh shall we say attic area and kind of into its what's going on and into its perhaps where andor is Stormtroopers march through the city, and Vel sits and watches with a space soda as Luthen sidles up. Hey, any luck? Uh, she was getting worried. Uh, he would come or not. Um, also, is Andor there? Everybody seems to think so. The ISB supervisor is in town. Is it a woman? Wait, does he know her? Val wonders, not yet, not until season two will I know anything past her name until they capture him or they meet. Um, how is that possibly good, Val wonders? Uh, Luthen explains that the Empire will do the hunting for them. They will want him alive. They'll find him. Um, the Empire will, and our rebels will kill him to prevent Dr. Gorse from playing the world's worst mixtape to get information out of him like poor Bix. Uh, where will they take him? The hotel. Uh, so that's their target. They just need him dead before they start asking Andor questions. How long just exactly until those festivities start? A few hours. He'll hear the anvil. You know, the one we start hearing now. Um, Sinta is watching the mother. Forget that. Get up to the hotel. And Luthen asks when that anvil starts to strike prematurely, what's going on? Uh, Pete, it appears all the off-worlders 
uh, here in the city uh, are asking the same question. Um, Andor is watching uh, through a, a, a brick window. Uh, we see a, a New Orleans-style band uh, starting to warm up, I think, immediately. Uh, at least anyone familiar with the uh, New Orleans uh, jazz, uh, you know, jazz band style of funeral kind of immediately was, you know, is capturing that moment there. It should be noted that Tony Gilroy explained this week, these are not musicians. The actors were taught to play this. It's a seven minute composition they came up with for this procession. Um, I did not know that detail. That's a fun detail. I think that it is. Um, it was also recorded on site. This was not recorded, you know, in uh, a a scoring facility and then layered on top of the show. This was done so that they had the sound, the echo of the scene of the location. I do appreciate that it starts out sounding like these are amateur musicians which i think is appropriate for the you know for the occasion for the particulars of the story and so forth uh you know it does get better as it goes on and on which, which may be a bit of a story conceit um but but certainly it's working uh we see in headquarters that uh miro doesn't know what's going on she's told by uh captain taigo or, or what title did he want prefect Big man on campus, whatever it is. He's not sure either. <laughs> Big man on Ferrix. <laughs> Big man on Ferrix, indeed. Uh, Luthen starts to make his way down the street. Uh, Mar- Mosk and Karn take spots as well. Uh, Andor uses a, a sniper sight to look on. Uh, seeing Luthen, important detail. He sees Luthen, that Luthen is there. Uh, the band starts to come together, uh, playing that mournful music. Uh, their numbers are few, but then more band members add the crowd joins more and more woman Pac leaves the shop bag notable on his shoulder there he joins too uh and we see that slinking into the crowd uh is uh is Cinta as well with Corv ahead of her uh Vel hustles to where she hears the music of course Kasax hears this he's just not seeing where it is um he tells taigo they've started it's coming from all over town and taigo wants everything out there a show of force immediately which kasax goes into the lobby to yell at the troops uh double time to form up and then out in the square by the tower even Santa Claus has shown up. Uh, a man clad in red with a with a big beard, indeed. Um, the band passes the glove wall, now certainly sounding more in tune. Uh, it's a tune the Bix hears, Andor hears. We see a very wide shot of the yellow band and the red honor guard marching to kind of meet in the square. Uh, great use of widescreen and so forth. Uh, Nurchi sees Korv and uh, wants double the reward. Got some info for you. Hey, let's fake an arrest to get uh, me, Nurchi, behind the lines and be able to talk one-on-one without people knowing that uh, Nurchi is a narc. Uh, Nurchi is indeed uh, fake arrested, brought in. 
uh, and Karn and Mosk are turned away from the perimeter, but their particular vantage point is established, uh, you know, for us geographically here. Uh, Nurchi's info ultimately is passed along to Miro and uh, Taigo, and she stresses again that Andor must be taken alive. In the square, mourners are assembled. Don't make her say it again, Matt. Uh, listen, I'm not going to cross her here. Um, uh, but in the in the square, it's not just the mourners. Uh, the troops are there, too, uh, in riot gear and shields. So I think we instinctively see that the temperature is rising here. Uh, Andor seems to sense that something is off. Um, at least I think that's what the camera is implying. Um, I think he's he's getting here that you know when brasso comes out in the cap carrying the brick in uniform and b is there that there's going to be a moment here I, I think it's kind of washing over him with bix listening and, and humming this music too and it's it's driven home with marva's monologue in a little bit this is their music this is their history it's interesting that it's not andor's he was raised in this after being rescued adopted by marva with increasingly everyone in place here we see bix hearing the music the song of freedom you can search youtube for people saying Here's the climax of uh, the season of Andor. Cut to the, you know, the famous song from uh, Les Miserables. Uh, Karn sees Miro from afar, whispering that she's here. Uh, we see B2 EMO roll into the center of the square, the full funeral procession um, now there, and the riot police squaring up as well. Pete looks a bit more like 40 people. It's possible that... Uh, the Empire may not be in full control of the situation. Um, Intercut is uh, the search for Andor, ultimately fruitless. He's not in that, uh, for lack of a better word, he's not in that attic space. Uh, Corv looks. I like, Pete, that they don't waste our time with Corv showing us Corv actually looking. He's on the ladder. He takes out his pistol. We intercut with some other stuff. Then we have Corv yeah. coming down. Shake head no. Um, I thought that Dedra looked at the other way out and intuited that Andor was in the tunnels. Maybe she did, but she doesn't act on it. Um, ships passing in the night and so forth. Uh, but we see Andor making his way out of the tunnels, uh, topside elsewhere. Ultimately, Pete, it is the kitchen area of the hotel, the hotel, now the HQ, uh, just as uh, the procession, the funeral procession squares up um, and and all across everywhere the chant uh, stone and sky is heard as the camera takes count of the cast karn watches luthan is right by him and bix begins to repeat this from captivity uh as andor moves through this kitchen he pulls a pistol on a guy and as the uh chanting continues b spins his head and even Wilmon is chanting here. The man that Andor has pulled on is Tenek, uh, who he asks uh, if he knows where Bix is. And then the anvil clangs to kind of bring the chant to a halt. 
Uh, Tenek apologizes to Andor about his mother. Uh, on B2EMO, uh, a little panel flips and a hologram of Marva, Karassi, Andor um, begins to play. This speech was filmed prior to this outdoor scene being uh, recorded. Um, and she explains here Fiona Shaw's character. She's honored to stand before them. She wanted to be a daughter of Ferrix. She's honored to be worthy of the stone. And because she's recorded this ahead of time, which was actually accord recorded ahead of time, she feels like they can see her. I know the Hollywood reporter has said, did you have Fiona Shaw on set that day to deliver the speech? Tony Gilroy's response was like, no. And it was like, moving on to the next question. Because um, <laughs> among other things, look, would it have been nice for the emotion of the moment to have her there? People could understand, fine, she's not on camera, but I, I look up in the sky, hear her words, I feed off her energy. That would all be nice. You know what would be not as nice, Pete, is if like, 87th extra took out their iPhone and like recorded her standing off to the side in street clothes while everybody else is wearing a thing standing like they're at a funeral and everybody that got posted online. Everybody's like, I bet she dies. And this is the, this like, you know, some, sometimes you need to make these choices so that there's, uh, you know, to, to protect your story babies and all. But as you said, Pete, Marvel reflecting on uh, funerals like this, the dead having lifted her as she has attended prior funerals when at what age matt did the dead begin to lift her uh i must confess pete i don't know tell me she thinks she was six years old since she's been in this fight <laughs> um but now she says she's dead uh and uh hopes to give life to all those assembled she wants them to go on for ferrix to continue she fears for ferrix though it used to be that the Empire left them alone or came and went and Ferrix was sleeping. There's rot at the center of the galaxy and the rot is here. It wants to stay. The Empire is a disease that thrives on darkness uh, and it is alive when we sleep. But if she could do it again, she'd wake up early and fight these bastards from the start in a speech, Pete. I don't know if this is going to warrant an Emmy nomination, maybe a guest actress nomination, but boy, it should. <laughs> supposedly if they were going to go for it, this in an episode, Matt, in which a man is stabbed twice yet produces a blade with not an ounce of blood on it. Um, if they were going to go for an F bomb, this was where they were going to go for it instead of fighting the empire. Um, I know why there's no blood. Cause there's a, concern in general and the disney concern in particular about uh you know getting uh, you know an r rating or a tvma rating who knows pete maybe somebody more concerned with numbers than creative decisions vetoed the blood maybe there'll be a special edition where there's more blood but i think pete in the world of star wars i don't think that they use i don't think they use the f word um and Scott. I, indeed um Pete, this speech is so moving that uh, Captain Prefect, man of many uh, talents, Tygo, takes his cloak off, half covers P 
Pete doesn't do the complete job because story. Uh, half covers B's projector, just as the now half-projected Marva says, to fight the Empire. Uh, a scrum breaks out. Brasso smacking a few troopers. Um, and then he calls out. He screams. Now the scrum, a brawl. Tygo back on his hands and knees. Uh, the bell ringer continuing to sound the bell. Uh, and we have a, a trooper sent up to stop the bell. Uh, a little delicious story treat that comes to fruition in a little bit. But Pete, take us to Andor looking for Bix. He's found the room that she's imprisoned in cowering. Uh, she dreamt that Andor came back, he climbed over a wall, uh, which happened. So she's confusing her events as a consequence of the Dr. Gorse uh, recording. I don't think Tony Gilroy confused at the notion that this Cassian Andor looking the way he does has climbed over a wall to make his way in and to lead the fight for freedom. There's that possibility as well, but they've got to get out of there. Uh, Bix says Marva was there Um, again, having concluded uh, this this speech at her funeral uh, and Andor asks, uh, wasn't she great? Outside, Matt, a Star Wars alien in Tony Gilroy's Star Wars? This a Kubaz, uh, like the character of Garandin, the one what narcs on Luke Skywalker on Tatooine, he is stunned by the Empire and one of many uh, getting carried into the lobby. Next stop, Narkina 5. We see Wilman, Pac eyeing it all. Uh, Miro returns to the situation here, seeing that things are only uh, falling apart more and more. That is when Wilman, Pac takes out his pipe bomb. Uh, even as Miro is swept up by the crowd, she was trying to walk away pulled back into well towards the center of things the bomb is thrown explodes hard and overturns a box of space grenades which uh they then detonate doing more damage particularly pete i want to call attention to the really really impressive practical explosion done on the bix cell set undoubtedly with stunt people for fear of glass and debris flying and whatnot but it is like we're kind of so used to like digital explosions with extra smoke when it doesn't look good. And this is just, they exploded a bunch of crap through the window and two people hit against the wall from it. And it really is, it really is a great moment. But not Nurchi. He caught a face full. Uh, so we know he's done. There is debris and smoke and Luthen gets up, dust all over his face. Mosk is on his back. Andor helps Bix up. Uh, Vel heroically runs toward the smoke and the mist as people are helped away. The beatings begin and Kaysax points to Wilmon, who threw the bomb. Brasso sees this. Tygo orders uh, soldiers to open fire at will. The stormtroopers get to Wilmon. Uh, Brasso has either an arm of a droid or an alien or a glove even and beats one stormtrooper with that and headbutts the other before there is 
lots of shooting. Um, one stormtrooper gets Zan Wan on his back and is shot off by another dead where he lays for a moment. B is also on his side, whimpering, and Brasso uh, and another man with the brick uh, hurry Wilmon away. We cut to Corv making his way through the winding streets here. Uh, he realizes that Cinta is following him. Just wonderful acting moment here. He's big, tough Corv. She kind of acts in the submissive role for a moment, allowing him to back her into a, a doorway. Pete, that's when she knifes him in the gut, knifes him again as they turn around in part to best capture the light uh, for the camera here. Uh, and he falls down dead into the 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 doorway. Uh, she closes the door, locking him and his problem away. Take that trash and leave him there. Um, that having been done and the shooting and still violence in the streets, B is pulled away uh, with a rope by Pegla. Uh, Andor now has Bix in the lobby where he stops and he shoots one of the death troopers. Uh, he sees that Nurchi is dead. The stormtrooper manning the big cannon on the, uh, the speeder uh, now firing into the crowd. Uh, Miro pulls her pistol and fires, but Matt, it's amazing in an uprising like this, you know, the empire just totally has things in control. Um, they don't have their anti rock units out there and she gets her hat knocked off by a rock. She's on the ground there in pain. She tries to get to her pistol and it's knocked another way. Intercut with that, we see Andor and Bix walking and walking some more, clearly away from the trouble here. Uh, the the trooper that was dispatched to the bell tower makes it to the bell tower and is quickly kicked <laughs> away. Two takeaways from this moment, Pete. A, that's what you get from not having building codes that include safety rails. And B, a bit more seriously, I appreciate, okay, look, we know that Star Wars is the absolute center of the target uh, for when it comes for the um, the Wilhelm scream, you know, the famous ah fall sound. Uh, it was Ben Burt in Star Wars who started to put that back and it became an in-joke. And now it's like a necessity in movies and so forth. And Ben Burt doesn't use it anymore. Hold on. Here. This is where you could have done the Wilhelm scream. But guess what? It's just Ben Burt was right. We're in a post-Wilhelm scream world where it's just cute when you do it. And this is not a cute moment. This is just... A guy on the wrong side getting kicked out of a thing, and now that stormtrooper is no more. Um, but back to uh, Miro here. Uh, the crowd descending on her. The gun out of reach, kicked around. Will she get it? A hand picks it up. Uh, it is Karn who is faking her abduction. We see that. She does not. They end up in a shop. She's ready to grab, or she indeed does grab something, ready to hit him on the head. Uh, but stunned and shocked that this man is her savior. Uh, she says that she should say thank you, and he says there's no need. He introduces, reintroduces himself as Cyril, and uh, a, a curious scene comes to its conclusion. The people that don't understand what this scene is about. 
Um, yeah, the 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 power imbalance, the so on and so forth. I, Pete, I know this. The shippers, uh, Matt. You're you're not meant to ship this particular couple. Yeah, there's gonna be some angry people in eighteen to twenty four months when that ultimately is is resolved. Uh, Andor and Bix and the masses make their way uh, away from the square. Luthen looks on. Vel and Cinta are racing to empty the apartment. Uh, at Pegla's shop, uh, a, uh, a, a an old craft is being loaded up and fueled. It's fully fueled. The thing says it's not. Tap the panel and so forth. Uh, we see that Wilmon Pock is on board. Brasso is there too. Feel like it's in the middle of this particular scene. It's kind of nebulous. Is Brasso going, staying, and so forth? Ultimately, he will be on the ship. B is there too. They hear something. Um, Jez ready to fire at whoever this is, but uh, B, who hasn't got enough lines, B has a very restrictive uh, contract here. You need to have a certain number of lines for B, or he just he walks, he rolls away. He says, <laughs> it's, it's Cassian, and we see it's Cassian and Bix. Now, Bix is brought on board of this story lifeboat of sorts. They're all set. They're all fueled up. Jez is going to pile them out of there, but Andor says he won't be coming. Uh, he shares the bad news with B. B, who always comes through, uh, and Bix coming out of her trouble says that Cassian will find us, and he says, "Yes, I will find you next season." Brasso nodding now before he gets out, and the ship leaves the lot at the embassy in a dialogueless scene here because it doesn't need it. Lita leads Mom and Dad. Uh, dressed if you didn't know better like a jedi but not um the door opens a boy turns around and then also davo and mrs scolden who i'm going to propose that her first name is updo updo scolden i i i think pete her her name is uh Marjo Simpsono Scolden. Um, <laughs> it's it's the first the first time these two great uh, properties have have crossed over each, with each other. Um, I will say now. I suppose I could say it later in theories, but I th- this scene left me more convinced than ever that it, regardless of the genesis whose idea it was, it's critical to this scene that Lita is okay with it all. Otherwise, I think it it crosses over from. I don't really know about this, but I guess it's their way. But she's on board with the old way to something uh, that I would argue is is, is unpalatable. Um, but indeed, Lita looking pleased. And even though, okay, Mon Mothma is not getting the close-up, indeed, we are slowly pushing into Lita and her smile. Who looks at Mom here, doesn't look at Dad, shares a quick uh, look with Genevieve O'Reilly. Back to Ferrix, where Mosk sits, drinks, and puffs his cheeks um, over the wastes. Uh, Luthen's speeder uh, strolls, headed back to his ship that he prepares for evac. Tells it full stealth, but is quiet on the ship except for the beeping of the droid. Suddenly, Andor is behind him uh, and asks if Luthen came to kill him. 
but Luthen tells him he doesn't make it easy. And Andor says he will now. He's placed his blaster down already for Luthen to pick up. Uh, who wonders, what game is this? Yes, the the showdown that much of the season has been working towards is upon us. Now, of course, with knowledge of things like a second season and the movie that's coming and all of that, I like that they don't overplay this as a big moment of super great tension because I think you know, a great percentage of the audience knows it's not going to be like, and Andor gets shot, the end. Da, 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 da. Um, but instead, um, Andor says he will make it easy now. What game is this? Andor says no game. Motions towards his blaster, which he has placed down. Uh, kind of closer to Luthen than not. Kill me or take me in, i.e. take me to the rebellion. Uh, Luthen considers Andor's gun and smiles. Andor sighs, perhaps of relief or perhaps from... Uh, being given the burden of continuing to go on here. And that takes us to the credits. The end forever, right, Pete? <laughs> In a credit scene, Matt, we see uh, spider droids assembling something. Wait a minute. Those are the things that the prisoners were making on Narkina 5. And then there are more of them, and we pan back and further and further. and. It is the Death Star. The people are starting to stand up. Just how will the revolution happen? And obviously, we've seen a start of it here, Pete. Uh, where where are your thoughts as to where the story goes, given as how the next episode, now in production, something that we won't see until likely the calendar year after the next calendar year, is going to take place a year after this. So how do we stitch this all together? What's our trajectory and so forth? We know that Gavin 4 is coming, that they're going to the rebel base, not this group explicitly, uh, Andor says, to Ganji Moon. Um, but that will eventually be a uh, setting for the second season. Um I think it's remarkably open-ended. I mean, everybody leaves with a trajectory, but it could be picked up in so many different ways. I do, at, you know, at this point more than any other, I do find myself struggling a bit to get my head wrapped around, you know, this 12 episode story, I'm assuming executed in broad strokes, how it was conceived way back when and taking place. I know obviously time has been compressed, but taking place over, what would you say, Pete, the last six months, four months, something like that. The closest we ever get to some explanation is that it's about a month since the incident on barracks. Karn gets picked up. We know, simultaneously that Andor under the guise of Keith Girgo has been in the prison on Narkina five. It seems like a more compact time frame 
than six months. I'd, I'd put this at about three months, the, the telling of this season. Regardless, and look, it's not my hundreds of million dollars that Disney is spending to make this and other shows. And if if one believes the, I think, commonly accepted narrative at this point that viewing numbers are not where they would like it to be for a show that is so critically uh, well-received and so, I think, objectively well-made, you know, there's probably a certain argument to say this is best as a two-episode season as opposed to, you know, the or pardon me, a, a two-season series as opposed to a five-season series. Still, Pete, I think of these... I think of how the original pitch for Lord of the Rings was two movies, but can't we really make it one, says many studios. And I think of, you know, you know, I think of the very first Game of Thrones pilot that was so bad that they completely redid it because somebody, because that lots of somebodies said there's potential here for seasons on top of seasons on top of seasons. And here we are, there's the spinoff and there, there's all of this around it. Nobody stopped to say, what if Game of Thrones, what if we just did like everything in 24 episodes? Is that cool? I, I don't know that, given the high quality of this show that I'm ready. Fine. There's going to be the time it takes in the real world to produce it, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know that I'm ready for the next episode to take place in the show chronology to take place a year from now when I've been, you know, so thoroughly enjoyed the last 12 episodes spending so much time with such an expansive cast, even frankly, a large core cast as well. Um, I guess the die has been set and that'll be the way it is, but I, I look forward to being proved wrong, but until then, I'm going to say what if. Another uh, eventual Emmy nominee in this cycle, Matt, House of the Dragon, shows us the way, if I can merge those sentiments. Um, They jumped time several times throughout the first season um, of their show. They did it successfully. Now there, the biggest challenge was aging up characters. And then at the same time, maintaining or even establishing our care for them. um, Since in many cases, they're introduced in in midstream. Um, Talking about children of... Uh, our main characters who eventually become main characters in their own right. Um, So that we know that second season's going to jump around so much as we move from four years to right before Rogue One over the course of those 12 episodes. I think this show in its own right has also shown us how it's going to do that. We had the incident on Ferrix over three episodes and or a wanted man after a misunderstanding all the way to heading out on the run, um, a, a rebel handler interested not in what he has, but in who he is. Then we had the Aldani heist job. Then we had the super compelling prison arc. And then we've had these final two episodes, um, a large scale uprising. Also interested to see like in the wake of this, all right, who, who claims victory? Does the empire say, you know, bombing, but we stamped it out on Ferrix 
or is this, you know, a source of rebel propaganda? You know, we had an uprising, the empire, you know, really moved to, to shut it down, but the, the spirit of freedom is on Ferrix. It is elsewhere at the same time, nearly that this Anto Krieger, um, job was over before it began. So there's a lot of disparate threads all united around the same theme to be picked up on. Yeah. And I think the great, um, the great sadness that comes with all those reflections is the amount of time it will take to get to season two. Um, and again, that I'm not, I'm not really, really complaining about that. I get, this is an expensive and, and complex. Uh, Ahsoka. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's not forget about bad batch. Ac- the acolyte is filming. Okay. And, or just now starting to film there's going to be plenty of Star Wars in between. The, the state of Star Wars, particularly on the TV side, is robust and healthy. And if you don't like mint chip, you can have strawberry. That's okay. I like ice cream, so I'm going to eat all the ice cream. I agree with all of that. I do think that there is... In this in this age where there's been so much produced, you know, the, the, let's say the streaming wars era, um, even as some of those numbers and some of the uh, ability for Wall Street, et cetera, to stomach all these losses as you build up your streaming army and all of that. Um, I do wonder, maybe it's more on the Marvel end than the Star Wars end, but Star Wars, I think so many there's so much that star Wars would like to model itself after when it, in, in relation to the Marvel cinematic universe. Um, I know I'll be ready in two years time for this second and final season. I do kind of, I guess I, I call into question as well, the lengthy wait time. And it certainly don't want anybody, you know, burning out or we don't want, you know, a la the West wing. We don't want anybody, yeah, behind the scenes in the first four years of West Wing, Aaron Sorkin was doing a lot of cocaine to get scripts out late. Um, and that was causing all sorts of troubles. I'm not wishing that kind of work environment on anybody uh, with Star Wars or, or, or any show. But I guess here's my, here's my question, Pete, that I know you will, you will give a sunny and optimistic response. <laughs> will the audience be here in two years or will we have moved on to, will it be old hat to be like, oh, that's the dark... Uh, adult Star Wars. Can't you bring me more, you know, Ahsoka flashbacks? What about that? And where's the 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 young uh, Luke Skywalker adventures? I want, you know, like, is there the risk that the audience isn't there? I no, I don't think so. And I think this is going to be something, you know, Matt had questioned last week as Andor started the round, actually the day that this finale began to stream of different networks and streamers also uh, partially owned by Disney that began showing the first two episodes of this season. They're going to pull more people in. My youngest brother, oh, I got to get on Andor. Okay. Yeah, the first episode's a little slow by comparison, but all that building up, paying up, and off in this final episode could could you 
imagine if there was only six, Matt, if this season ended, you know, there's a pathway where they say season one goes through the Aldani job and that's it. And then we have a second season here. Really, when you're going to look at it with the two seasons, two times 12, 24 total, you know, by the rest of Star Wars, Marvel, Disney Plus shows, it's essentially four seasons worth of content. These run times were longer than any of the other shows to date on average. Um, and really, really robust. I think they will continue to bring people in. Wait till the nominations come out. This is going to be amongst it. Does it somehow carry off a, a surprise win? I mean, you know, re remember the shock, Matt, when The Mandalorian was an Emmy nominee for Best Drama. Okay. This is a shoe in as a nominee. Moved now. Uh, I'll take my Star Wars colored glasses off for a moment and, and just speak in the language of Hollywood critics. This is a serious contender for best drama. I would agree with all of that. And you do have your words put me in, in, in you know, for, for, for a fantasy moment, put me in the place of like Disney plus scheduling guy. You know, is there an argument to be made? The first six episodes are so good. Let's hold the next six to be season two in 2023, you know, so we can kind of meet it out a bit more um, in a bit more of a traditional way. I think there's an interesting argument to that. Now I'll go back to me in the real world. I'm really glad we got 12 episodes. Yeah. Um, Guaranteed. Particularly if season two is malleable the way everybody is saying with three episode blocks, you know, the ability to hypothetically say six episodes, season one through Aldani season two is the second half of the season season three, two different pods, right? That's less confusing to go three episodes here, three episodes there. And then to repeat that for a, a third six episode season. Um, I'm certainly glad to have gotten these 12 episodes. I think it's a more complete bite. Um, Pete, if nothing else, I'll just say, you know, Star Trek Universe used to have Star Trek short treks. Uh, where's my where's my Andor short Andors? Where's my thing to sit and go? Here's a six minute or here's a this, here's a that to get me through the next again eighteen to twenty four months. A good problem to have, but one that weighs a bit heavy on the heart. I wouldn't water it down. You know what your short Andors are are your your mandors and your ahsokas all the stuff will will get in between conceivably we're gonna have as many as three different shows before we see cassie and andor and company proper again i'm fine with that we will be amply distracted in terms of the narrative in this particular episode that mon mothma is pushing her pawn of Perrin forward and simultaneously allowing her daughter who has made the choice of the Shandrillin uh, customs as far as courtly love would be concerned 
Um, she's really fighting a battle on all fronts, but definitely fighting. I said that during the recap, I'll repeat it here. Uh, I would be curious to know if the original um, story outline script, whatever kind of early phase you want to take it back to, if Lita was not, um, you know, was not allowing this to happen, was not eager for this to happen. It's a better story to have on a variety of levels. It's a better story to have Lita uh, open-eyed towards what I think you and me and most viewers would see as, you know, an oppressive, um, backward, old-fashioned way of doing things with regard to gender and marriage and so forth. Um, but it's, so we can say, you know, n no, she's making the wrong choice. It also, I, I think, in a more important story sense, it gives Mon Mothma the story out for us not to be saying, I get there's a whole Rebel Alliance and there's a whole... You know what? What's the philosophical thing? The, the 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 trolley car problem. Like, there's a whole thing. Sacrifice your daughter for the rebellion. Like, these are all moral areas that I don't think are very comfortable, and I don't think are in line with Star Wars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And if mom was, uh, you know, if mom was, shall we say, in a in a polite way, if mom was selling her daughter uh, out to Davo Skuldhun and son that's just a whole road that does not work story-wise and it's it's much better here to have lita as i say complicit in her own uh, what i will say her own oppression i should note matt i didn't even mention uh star wars skeleton crew which will be another one to fill this space between when we see these characters again so plenty more star wars to keep us occupied yeah we want to return to this this story though um the ferrix business miro so insistent we understand why we've seen it with what bix has suffered through what ultimately claimed the life of solomon pack after he was uh emptied of intel um her need to take andor alive hence no disintegrations um but as her star has arisen, littlest bit of pushback in this episode, you know, hey, Major, you killed all those uh, rebels we can't get any intel out of. Um, I just wish I was part of that conversation. Uh, no, 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 no. You don't have a conversation with the Emperor. You make him happy. Yeah, and it's, uh, I think it's both obvious but worth delving into a bit. It's um, the implied or maybe not so implied sexism of the ISB to whatever degree that's also a manifestation of the emperor's philosophies and so forth. Just, you know, certainly the notion that everybody's trying to row in the same direction here and Dedra Miro is contrary to that. That's why we see her as... Uh, an anti-hero, also a villain. Think back to our Black Panther discussion. When is an anti-hero a villain and vice versa? And when are they both and when are they neither? Uh, I think we're able to root for her because she's an underdog within her own dogma uh, while also, I think, enjoying the irony. If somebody had just listened to this slightly more diverse perspective, they could have pulled intel out of 
Anto Krieger and Bunch. And if they did it again and again and again, and, and you know, at a certain point they'd realize, hey, she's onto something with Axis, you know, and obviously we're not actually rooting for the prevention of the rebel alliance to come together and bring freedom throughout the galaxy for 30 years and all of that. But um, you know, it it's because of the dogma of the Empire that the Empire fails. So Miro gets in big trouble here, Matt. I mean that they had me seriously wondering if we were going to see our first ever Star Wars, the Walking Dead spinoff, just rip her apart as she's being pulled back. It, it seemed a realistic possibility. Um, and then Karn swoops in, uh, pistol to her back, um, conceivably to the other people in the crowd. Okay. This, this is somebody who's going to take care of this Imperial for us. We do not need to further dirty our hands having quote unquote rescued her, even though um, Miro would tell you she doesn't need rescuing. And the tension of the scene, we have to wonder with it concluded what is Cyril Karn to Dedra Miro now well that's a story area where I say all right Tony Gilroy and Dan Gilroy and Bo Willimon wait a minute is Willimon named for Willimon but I digress you have your work cut out for you because I feel like there's a one week later scene that I want to see and there's a one month later scene that I want to see whatever that looks like um, but somehow we need to either get it in flashback in the second season or pick up where we left off, you know, wh whatever it is like I know and, you know, Pete, and most people watching this show know that there's um, there's a creepiness and an ickiness to Cyril Karn that the show is making hay out of and is going to almost let me this way. The show is not headed towards, you know, and Dedra decides to then give up her career and have babies for Cyril Karn and be a stay-at-home mom and all of that like that's not this character and I'm reminded somebody on Twitter said I don't think it was at us I don't think it was one of our followers and if I'm pinching from somebody my apologies but it was like uh there are there are right-wing people watching this show not understanding that that the right wing is the the villain in this show <laughs> similarly if if you're shipping Cyril Karn and Miro in season two um that's not where this is headed they might fake us out and make us think that, but that's not where this is headed. And I wish we could get episode 13 to help deal with that episode 113 to deal with that. Um, but instead somehow in the one year later aesthetic of uh, season two episodes, one, two, and three, we're going to have to address that. She is made to change her mind because of the circumstances on Cyril Karn. He's remained static. Mosque. Matt, has he seen enough? Is he ready to come over to the rebellion? Hmm. I would have thought, oh, whether the actor knew it or not, you know, Mosk gets his curtain call sitting there, you know, dazed, sipping, sipping a little of the old space whiskey or whatever. The notion that Mosk could continue in season two as somebody who has come over, um, I really like that. I think actually that that could be a useful story element in that 
um, as much as the Star Wars universe and maybe in other universes as well, as much as we can be convinced those people on that side, there's no, there's no getting to them. I think it could be very valuable. It doesn't need to take up a ton of story time, but for Mosk to say, I spent my whole life believing one set of rules and it took me seeing this to realize there's people out there who have a different perspective and I can shift to their perspective and be sympathetic and so forth. Um, I think that would be a wonderful element to work into season two. That Marva explains she was six years old when she first held a funerary stone. We've had Cassie and Andor tell Jen or so that he's been in this fight since he was six years old. Love the parallels between the adoptive mother figure and adoptive son here and this call to arms you know what's so satisfying to luthen in the midst of i wouldn't fully term it a, a massacre maybe the rebels might use that as propaganda but he's seen a group he is unaffiliated with. He has not provided support or succor with stand up. And it further speaks to Nemec's musings, his manifesto. So it's all coming together here. Tony Gilroy is keenly aware of history and multiple points in history um the hollywood reporter tried to pin him down and say oh mon mothma is nancy pelosi right and he very quickly brushed that off noting there's elements in this season that are taken from uh you know this rebellion that um uprising so on and so forth he's pulling throughout history i think pete in a very authentic star wars way that says you know this is not you know, uh, the British and the American colonists, 1776, it is the repetitive struggle of humanity. Similarly, you say that you don't know whether you'd term this as a massacre or not. I'm reminded uh, that the Boston Massacre in 1770 uh, saw the death of five people. I would agree kind of objectively, just at some point in history, five people killed in a clash between locals and the military Five people doesn't sound like a massacre to me. I would be shocked, Pete, if they don't refer back to, you know, the Ferrix massacre. That it, that if Tony Gilroy's not taking elements of the Boston massacre and how that was tragic in and of its own right, but then how it was very widely publicized for propaganda purposes, pro-American propaganda purposes, I might add. But I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see season two referring back to this as the Ferrix massacre, the massacre at Ferrix, something like that. Um, and that this is the star Wars Boston massacre. What about the damage that Bix has suffered as a result of Gorst's interrogation techniques? Is this permanent? Is she a back to bath away from being, uh, restored we'll find her working on some x-wings good to go how do you think that plays out i think that within the course of this episode 
we see her remarkably healing fast. I, I don't have the psychology background to know how authentic that is, but within the world of this story, she goes from unwilling to walk out of the open door because the Empire wouldn't like that to... I mean, I would even argue, Pete, I haven't gone back and looked scene by scene. I would argue that by the time she's on the escape ship, uh, ship they are putting less uh, weathered makeup on her. She's already looking better. The color is coming back to her face and so forth. Um, if the story wants to throw us the bone that in one year's time, i.e. the next three episodes, um, we have perhaps she's reintroduced as, you know, ah, waking up from a nightmare. Okay. And we have a little bit of, then episode 202, the nightmares are still continuing, Cassian, maybe not mention it for the third episode. Then boom, we go a year later and she can say, the nightmares are finally behind me. Again, I don't know what the our world human psychology answer is to uh, physical and more importantly, psychological um, abuse and, and how long it sticks around, etc. Here's what this story is telling me. Boy, she's on the mend. And in terms of is she going to be too scared to fire the blaster in future episodes? Uh, no, she's on the mend. She's going to be back to being the, the kick-butt lady that she was introduced as, and all is well. Val and Cinta clear out of Ferrix. Matt, the closet is empty. That's got to be on purpose, right? That line has got to be there on purpose to say, look, Unlike, quite frankly, other Star Wars outings, unlike Rise of Skywalker, where we're going to give you the, the the most meager, hey, two people, one of whom had a line, that are of the same gender, they're going to kiss. And then we're going to, it's kind of in the mid-ground, and while other people are happy, like, we have two characters in a same-sex relationship with emotional complexity, with... um you know, the, the power outside their relationship, story importance outside their relationship and so forth. As you had pointed out last week, um, there is the trope of uh, killing gay characters for dramatic impact. And um, I think we, if they had done that to one or both of the characters in this episode, I think we all would have rolled our eyes and said, oh, the old uh, Tony Gilroy, old white straight Tony Gilroy doing the thing. And we probably would not have uh, complained much past pointing out that he did a trope. The fact that they didn't do the trope, the fact that they're, they're kept together, they're intact for season two. All of this is, you know, are, are better and better decisions than had they gone for lesser choices. Last question here, Pete. There were some people, I think jokingly, in light of uh, in light of the Book of Boba Fett, there were some people hoping that the Mandalorian would have showed up here in the finale <laughs> to give the story extra zip. Your thoughts? The Mandalorian who's a child? <laughs> hey, you never know. We didn't know he was going to show up in Book of Boba Fett that he did, but a, a fun, albeit somewhat uh, tongue-in-cheek theory that was making its way uh, across the internet. Our rebel spies have sent us some secret transmissions. And Pete, we go to Twitter itself looking like, uh, you know, like Rick's road sometimes. <laughs> uh, but the, the poll here, who is coming out of the finale uh, in the best shape? 
Pete, I couldn't do a four, three, two, one. This was too good. Um, we'll go from the, the top down here. Uh, Andor coming out of the finale in best shape got sixty six point seven percent. Luthen got twenty eight percent. Dedra got two point six percent, and then other reply below got two point six percent as well. So we go to the comments here. JTA is me says as follows: Great finale, and uh, relative to the rest of the episodes, remarkably upbeat in terms of outcomes, and I think it landed in a great spot, leaving us wanting more while also not uh, torturing us with a cliffhanger. Now patiently waiting for the next season, C -c -c Cassian is counting on you. Uh, Diana Bodenberg, at Diana Bodenberg on Twitter, said, Luthen came out well in season one, but I don't think he's making it through season two. Now I have a new runner-up favorite droid, <laughs> B emoji, two or peace emoji. No one beats R2, though. Uh, I couldn't have asked for a more intriguing and better written and acted Star Wars show. Can't wait for season two. Next, at Steve Thurberge says, overall excellent season finale. Uh, if we didn't know there was more coming, I wouldn't feel the same. Just enough sacrifice. Luthen gets second chance. Andrew gets a new mentor. He's still being forged. Dedrit and Cyril have now both failed on Ferrix. Mon knew the driver was listening. Uh, Bob Keeley, that's at R. Keeley, says, what an outstanding run of episodes. Who came out of the finale in the best shape? We, the viewers, did. This was an A-plus all around. Well done there, Bob. Um, Drive-by Wrestling Pod, that's at Drive-by Pod, says, I was getting behind uh, to, I was behind and getting to Andor. wasn't so sure about how about it after the first two episodes. Then it quickly became my favorite Star Wars media. The finale was unbelievably satisfying. I'm not sure how I'm going to wait until season two, but I guess we have no choice. Beautifully done. Next up, Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC-139. Rick's Road was, unfortunately, a tad predictable. It ended well with Andor joining Luthen, but I was just left wanting a little more. I wanted more Dedra, more Mon, and frankly, more Andor. Love the post credit scene. Overall, I really like season one, nine out of ten. Next, Arya needs a spinoff. That's at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. Says, uh, great episode and overall fantastic season. Some memorable characters beside Andor and a well-crafted story. I really thought we would see Kino Loy again. Definitely re-binge worthy. Uh, one of the best droids ever in B2 uh, EMO. James is sagacious. Big killing on Twitter shares a gif gif of uh, Mrs. Skulldun. Mrs. Davo's hair is in the best shape. Uh, and um, James goes on to say, uh, the finale is perfect for me. They're willing to do so much off screen, which makes what we get on screen potent. Glad they didn't send the tragic gay couple into martyrdom. Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo 1983 says this finale proves that Andor is the best written and acted Star Wars property to date. All the storylines converge in a finale that closed several plot lines while perfectly setting up the future. Andor was able to attend the funeral. Uh, Miro missed the target but got a stalker, and Mon Mothma made a decision. I got misty when Bix said, he will always find us. I loved this show. I hope I don't have to wait two years for season two. Lastly, Pete, Noel Gardner at Noel Camille says, this episode was amazing. It brought everything together to a conclusion and then sets up for the next chapter. I wonder how much of a time jump there will be. The most fascinating storyline I want to follow is Mon's daughter. I feel there still is a twist there. Almost forgot. Try hard, Troy. Got the girl, kinda. I think that's going down a creepy road. Oh, yes. I'm going to predict and, you know, we'll 
say more certainly on our season one wrap episode this time next week um he's gonna wind up working for her in some odd capacity if not officially um matt to apple podcasts we go where uh stacy t in lg has left us a five-star rating uh headlined top rate analysis and it reads matt and pete are fantastic with the ph and i listen to most of their pods their coverage of andor is superb they offer additional context about the star wars universe and the behind the scenes of running the show that a casual Star Wars fan like me wouldn't know. It makes me enjoy Andor all that much more. They are a must listen if you watch Star Wars, Star Trek, or Marvel. Well, thank you for those kind words there. And uh, always, always great to hear such things, particularly Pete, as we're uh, running that, uh, that uh, contest for, uh, you know, in exchange for reviews uh reviews of any sort and also glad you mentioned pete that uh we will be doing a whole season wrap next week there's always a little bit of a drop off between the episodic podcast and then the wrap-up as a whole so you know do do stay listening subscribed and so forth uh, as we get ready to step back and look at this this you know just wealth of 12 episodes that we've gotten and of course pete we've been here all along the entire way uh in part in great part because of the support that we get on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. And as our year end bills are coming due, especially helpful to be 100% listener supported via patreon.com slash fantastic geek with the pH all one word. Pete, we recently put a, uh, a good, a great pop culture reflection there as one property has recently come to an end. We have some other goodies planned uh, for the next, you know, four, six, eight weeks and so forth. So uh, always, always a really fun corner to be, uh, to be putting new things up there on our uh, patreon.com slash fantastic geek page. All made possible and for you. Well, Pete, let's keep the Andor, nay, the Star Wars conversation going. I know we have some tentative star wars news to discuss to share but maybe we'll save that for the season recap uh just to make sure all the ducks are in a row but let's keep the star wars conversation going the andor conversation going how can people be in touch with you on while it exists twitter uh you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 12,581 followers can't be wrong and while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. As mentioned at the top, Pete, on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, as well as the Marvel Movie Podcast feed, we'll be talking the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Uh, on monday and of course if you're here just for andor the andor podcast feed and pop culture podcast feed we'll be getting our discussion to look back at all of season one it'll be happening saturday of next week with that pete i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word i always wanted to be lifted <laughs>